Good day, good evening. Welcome back wherever you are. You're listening to the latest instalment from Range Anxiety, the podcast that brings you 30 years in 30 minutes of my automotive tuning experience. I'm your host, Martin Donnan, and let's get on with today's, this week's show. Now, first thing we do every show is we talk about the feedback. Um, I've actually had some fairly good feedback this week from people out of the blue. Last episode, or the one before Roll Racing, which was an impromptu thing, there was a guy that said that he drinks beer on his lawnmower while he's, you know, mowing his acreage, listening to Range Anxiety. This time, there's a guy that said, your guests are shit. That's right. Apparently, I sound okay, which is good to hear. And I've actually turned off every bit of internet around the booth as far as the eye can see. So if there's any interference, I don't know what I'm going to do. But, you know, it should be clear. It should be crystal. I'm using a Shure mic and I'm using the Anchor app, which is a really, really good thing. Um. So the feedback was my guests were a bit boring. So what happens is when you stick a microphone in people's faces, they normally turn to shit. You know, they can have a few beers with you. They can talk to you. They can do whatever they want with you and carry on, you know, and have a great time. But as soon as they see a microphone, no good. One of them has a parent that is a well-known South Australian media celebrity, and I'm not going to mention any names, and he had no excuse. But the best part is my offsider, the guy I work with, who, who's a pretty cool dude, Gareth Norton, he did really, really well, and he's the shyest out of all of these guys. Maybe he just knows that I like talking shit from time to time. So here it is, range anxiety, and this is the most awaited from our feedback the most awaited episode, it is Tuna Wars number two. So sit back, get yourself a drink, strap in, mow your lawn, do whatever you're going to do, because this is actually going to be fairly cool. Now, I started, I reckon, all of this Tuna Wars thing, go back to the days that I was talking about in the past, ls1.com.au, the forums, Back in the days when I used to read a fair bit, when they were actually um, books with pages, not audio books, I used to read a lot of stuff from an American guy, and uh, it was very old school. His name was Corky Bell, and he wrote a book called Maximum Boost, which was a bit of a Bible to me at the time. No, I'm not bringing religion into this. You know, I don't care for it much. My religion is cars. And so Corky Bell, what he would do was put turbos on anything, ski boats, uh, trucks, cars. And, you know, Americans had that stupid rear-engined Corvair thing that killed them most times that they drove it. So I was reading his book and I own new Commodores and I got kind of sick of the whole bolt-on-tune thing back in 2003 or four, I got sick of that. That was pretty cool, and they went fast, and you could do a high 12, and that was cool. We had the paint tray over the radiator inlet, which was also cool. 
But it kind of didn't cut it for me. I'd been used to playing with GDRs and uh, two JZs, you know, uh, Supras and 1.5 JZs in Sauras and whatever else was offered from Japan with the turbo on it. So I love turbos, you know, turbos made cars go fast. And to uh, quote the immortal Keith Duckworth, who I think developed the Cosworth V8, he said turbos are for people that cannot build engines. Well, yeah, I can't build an engine. I wouldn't have an absolute clue. There are people that do that. I, I attempt to tune them. So I'm looking at this 5.7 thing and I'm thinking, yeah, this one is cool. I'm going to skip this whole, you know, 220 to 230 kilowatts or, or 260 kilowatts or 280 kilowatts at the wheels thing um, with a camshaft and I'm going to go straight to 380, 400. So how am I going to do this? You know what? I'm going to do what Corky said, put a turbo on it. So I did that and that was probably my little dog you could hear barking in the background. He he comes with me from time to time and he likes a good bark. He's a terrier. Um, does anyone want him? You can have him for free. But anyway, I, I decided to put a turbo on the LS1. So the first thing to do was sizing it. And I went for a, what was around back then. I thought a nice Garrett GT35R with 1.06 rear housing. For those of you that don't know much about cars, that was like, you got to let a V8 breathe. And that was probably the best we could do at the time. And I went to a local firm that uh, a good fabricating shop, they were called ASE and Autosport Engineering, and I said, here's what I want to do. I'll pay you to do it. I will, you know, you charge me for it, and I want this to be mine. And so they made this beautiful stainless steel manifold on one side of the car, because on one side of the LS1. Because I thought the cast iron thing, like the closer you can keep any turbo engine to a cast iron manifold, the longer it's going to last. And I was always about long lasting. So I kept on the driver's side or right-hand side for my American listeners, I kept the stock uh, exhaust manifold because it pointed the right way. It was killer. We put a crossover pipe under it and we blew up into the um, GT35R with an external gate, which plumbed straight back in to the fabricated exhaust manifold. That's the way it was made. And it worked really, really, really well. Some of you may remember, there's still, I, I still reckon there's videos around on YouTube where I, um, you know, had this thing doing burnouts and whatever else. And, you know, it, it did pretty well. Like it, it wasn't as fast as some of, you know, the, cam only cars at the time at the drag strips like we were only doing tens in this thing back in 2005 and some of those guys were going actually we were faster some of those guys were doing were going nearly as fast um stripping the entire car out you know sitting on a milk crate and driving it with chopsticks hey Fonzie how are you going you know we're good mates now and I'll, I'm a big customer of his now actually at GM Motorsport, but there were all of these 
kind of arguments and it boiled up on forums. Like, how could you take a beautiful V8 and ruin it by putting a turbo on it? Yeah, well, we did. And it worked bloody good, but it gave it like a Subaru kind of offbeat, blah, 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 blah. No, it didn't sound like a classic V8. And the reason for that is because the manifolds are unequal length. Anytime you have an engine where the manifolds are unequal, they'll make a stupid noise. They'll make that boxer sort of noise, which is, you know, it's kind of cool me doing it here. And some people really love it. But the reality is when an engine's happy, it doesn't make the offbeat note. I'll actually just step aside here and, and, and go to one uh, bit. I, I met this guy through my Ford tuning days, a guy called Simon Gishes from Nispro. Very, very, very smart man. And he said right there, that is the sound of unreliability. You'll hear me quote that from time to time with V8s and whatever else or, you know, turbos. But that boxer offbeat noise means that you have an imbalance of exhaust pressure, which is what you don't want for any turbocharged car. So every time I see a guy now go, oh, oh gal, sorry, this is a non-sexist show. Any, anytime anyone says, you know, I put a single turbo on my LS1, if it's not in the bloody middle and the manifolds aren't equal length, you are giving away power. And not so much that. There was another really, really smart guy that existed on the forums. His name was, and I'm going to mention him because to me he was, he hated me and I understand why, but he was probably the smartest guy I ever met or him and the staff around him, a guy called Peter Luxon and he ran a guy called, he ran a uh, company called APS in Victoria in Croydon, uh, Air Power Systems, and he had, they were great with Subarus and they were great with, uh, Nissans are actually great with turbocharging anything, and they're great with turbocharging V8s. They had a guy that worked for him, a guy called David Innell, who was the father of turbocharging in Australia. Love him, hate him, whatever. You, you, you'll never change that fact. And they instantly took a disliking to what I'd done and a disliking to me. And, you know, that's fine. Plenty of people have done that over the years. Why wouldn't you? So I, I turned up. Back in the day, there were these things in the mid-2000s called the Holden versus Ford shows. A guy called Graham Rutgers ran them, and he did a, a bloody good job of it. You know, he was a bit like me. He, sometimes you like him, sometimes you don't like him. But he put these things on that were groundbreaking and actually pushed the industry up to another, another notch. It was fantastic. And so I turned up there one day, they used to have a dyno shoot out there, and I wasn't uh, ballsy enough to put this little Chevy 35R, you know, turbo-equipped thing on the dyno. We were making 400 kilowatts of the wheels. Even back then, back in the day, people were making uh, six to 700 kilowatts of the wheels with centrifugal blowers, with one-off handmade things. This was a production kit in my eyes, and it was... Uh, $7,900 back then for the whole kit. You bolt it on, I would tune it. Perfect. And that works really well. Lots of people had a lot of pleasure out of these things, including me. I owned probably, 
five turbocharged Holdens. All of them were really, really good fun. So anyway, I put this thing on an engine stand and it had the little stainless headers, the pipes weren't big and everything else because I was really, really worried about the thermal transfer of the whole thing. We had uh, turbo blankets made for the exhaust. We kept the pipe small. We kept the lead clearance big. And, you know, in production, they would kind of work. People could do uh, 20, 30,000 Ks on these single turbo things without, you know, destroying anything. The bonnet, yes, it could get a bit hot. And yes, there was a lot of heat up the front. And we kind of figured by keeping the bonnet shut, we could duct air up from the lower valence of the the inlet, which is, don't worry about the top nostrils of any car. It, all the work's done through the bottom where the splitter is. And that's how everything's guided these days. And yeah, we actually did it quite well. And I remember David in all, uh, because, you know, to me, he was a guru. Still is probably. David, if you're listening, thank you. Uh, he looked at this thing and he said, you know what? It's not bad. There's going to be a lot of back pressure. It's going to limit top end power. Um, but it should work. And guess what? It did. However, his boss at the time, Peter Luxon, called it the bonnet burner. And he was kind of right. Because... We could keep the heat down. We never burnt bonnets, but there was a lot of heat generated by turbochargers. When you set them up at the top in a Holden engine bay, there was a lot of heat generated and evacuating it was difficult. So it was, you know, the bonnet burner. And it didn't, like I said, it didn't burn anything. And, and, and we, we got some really good results. We ran nines on this thing with a stock piston and rod, stock, uh, actually it was built 4L60E, but stock transmission holding with the stock, um, I reckon we ran three sevens in the back of it. Gareth, who still works with me that you heard in the last podcast, he ran a 9.9 in 140s with one of these things. Slightly bigger turbocharger though, but I think he did 10.9 and 128 on the GD35R on conventional fuel. No E85s, no alcohol, no, you know, crazy kind of stuff that you see all the time now. And we did some really good stuff and it upset a lot of people. So let's transition this back to the forums. Because in the early days, there was this company called Harrop. You know, we all knew Ron Harrop. He was behind uh, Peter Brock's staff and... You know, these guys could build race cars and engineer stuff that was beyond anything, not only that we could do, but that we could probably understand. And Harrop had this tiny little non-integral blower back then, the M112. And, you know, we used to cream this, the GD, GD35R turbo. We would cream it. Garrett would, yeah, Gareth, Gareth, Garrett would kill us. But, you know, people sort of hated us for taking away the flavour of V8 and making it a Jap car. Like, it wasn't a Jap car. It was a turbocharged V8. And, you know, times have moved on now, and I'm one of the biggest Harrop dealers in the country because their product has moved on. And this product, the turbocharged product, the one that was 
created so many divisions on forums and created so many problems, it never moved on. Why didn't it move on? Well, let me tell you why. Because everyone saw it was a turbo hanging up in the breeze and you can buy a turbo off eBay and you can make your own setup and you can do whatever you want. But guess what? 99.99% of them did it wrong. They did it wrong to the point where like, you know, 16 years, 15 years later, people come in to me and they say, uh, should I put a single turbo on my VF or should I put a Harrop supercharger on it? I say, mate, if you don't want to drive the thing, just put the supercharger on it. Because people took our whole turbo thing and they did it really wrong. How did they do it wrong? They did it with big, massive pipes, big diameter, massive fabricated inlet manifold, uh, sorry, uh, exhaust manifolds. And they made it so that the heat generation was terrible. They kill alternators straight away. They burn leads straight away. It's not any sort of shit I'd ever want to be involved with. It was bloody terrible what, what's happened over the next 10 years. Sure, you'll get one drag run out of them or a few passes out of them, but I challenge you, anyone that's listening, to show me like a big GD47 thing that can do proper duties and just not execute everything in the engine bay. You got it wrong, guys. You didn't actually adhere to the plan, and the plan was to make it daily driven reliable. So this will be something for another episode. We decided to go twin turbo on the VE platform in 2008, and we bought a few of these things back then, 2008, 9, 10, and we developed a twin turbo kit and it was killer, and we mounted them low, back off the standard manifolds under the car. But they were shit as well. Some of them are still running around, and they made good power, you know, because there was less back pressure. But we made two critical mistakes, or I made two critical mistakes. One of them was trusting that China could build a turbocharger that was reliable in a heavy-duty environment. They couldn't. Whether they can now or not, I actually don't care. I'll never, ever, ever go that way again. It cost me a lot of money till we swapped them over to Garrett uh, 2871Rs, which are still a bit small for the application, but, you know, quite meaty, quite bitey. They're a good turbo. The other problem, which is a shocking problem, is scavenge pumps. Because when you mount turbos low at some level, you have to take their oil drain back and put it back in the engine. And we used to go in the oil filler cap. You know, drilling sumps was fraught with danger because any tiny swarf of metal would block the engine's main oil pump. You'd have no oil pressure. It was a disaster, you know, unless you were prepared to do it right, which meant it wasn't really a job for the home guys. Um, so... We used some Chinese turbos. They were actually shocking. Um, we were constrained by the height of the standard manifolds, whereas at the same time, APS had already gone off. Now, they'd already cast their own shorter manifolds, the turbos a bit higher. And, you know, Peter Luxon was just always probably 50 steps ahead of me. And 
if you're listening, Peter, I, I hope you're glad to hear this because that's a fact. Um, and we kind of failed there. We had a customer that had a scavenge pump. We used video, German pumps, not Chinese stuff. And we had one that failed in the Sydney tunnels that go under the bridge and it smoked out the entire bridge to the point where they put the alarm lights on and shut it down. And he kept going. So he knew there were going to be fines and stuff involved. And thank you very much. I forget, I forget your name, but thank you very much for that. But low mount turbos are a problem if they rely on electric rather than mechanical pumps. Mechanical pumps, way too hard. I mean, Subaru do it now. They're an OE. The standard WRX you buy has a mechanical pump. Or maybe it's possibly electric, but it works because it's OE. We weren't OE. So let's bring us back to the point of Tuna Wars 2 and let's talk about the setup. And there was so much anxiety going on about, you know, people like me with turbo V8s on the forum. So I had this guy come to me. He, I'm not going to mention his name. And he actually set me up. He actually uh, brought over his VE Malu, which was quite fresh at the time. It would have been, I don't know, a year old. And he wants me to turbo it. And uh, we turboed it. We dynoed it. And we gave it back to him with 420 kilowatts. But one thing he said to me, he goes, Martin, these things, you've got to step on the clutch to start them. The VE was the first Holden with a clutch interlock, which means with a manual car, you can't start the engine unless the clutch is depressed. And he goes, I don't like that. That's that's bullshit. Take it off for me. And it's, it's one switch in the software when you flash it. So, yeah, I said, yeah, I'll do that for you. No worries. Well, anyway, this dickhead had a good car. He, he took it back. He was from Victoria. He took it back. He took it back somewhere else. He donated it. It made 30 kilowatts or 40 kilowatts less than I gave it to him with. You charlatan, you, you know, you, you, you robbed me. It went a ton better. Like, dinos can be cheated in any direction. Always have been, always will be. You know, uh, modern guys like Mainline are making it really hard to do. But there are conditions you can set in terms of the way you physically strap the car or whatever. They can make it read higher or lower. Good guys don't do it. Dickheads do it. And this guy probably got it hot as he could get it in the intake temps and everything, and he made the thing go less on power. And so I said, okay, well, you made it go less on power. And all of the forums and the LS1 guys said, oh, that's a bit shit, Martin, but we're not going to hang you over it. So he kind of lost the battle. So you know what he did? He sold the car to one of his mates. One of his mates, apparently... And they were drunk. They were pissed at a party. And his mate leant through the window to start the car. And apparently, there were never any photos of this. It drove into a wall and smashed the front bar. And he said, what happens if there was a kid in front of it? The clutch in the lock wasn't on. I said, hang on, Cobber. You were the one that asked me to turn it off. So there are two things that I've learned out of this. Never ever turn a clutch into lock off. Doesn't matter how much I offer to pay you. Uh, never remove a speed limiter. So I'll say, I was doing 300 and the thing barrel rolled when I hit a tree. Yeah, of course it's going to. You bloody well hit a tree. 
So there are certain things you won't do for people. And this was a big forum thing at the time. And it was ugly and it was messy and it probably cost me a lot of money. But you know what? I don't care. The guy was a dickhead and he probably still is. We, no one hears from him anymore. You know, he had a tilt at racing Lamborghinis and that always ends badly for anyone whose ego outweighs their ability. So there are still going to be more Tuna Wars. There's going to be a Tuna Wars 3 and probably a Tuna Wars 4. We haven't even touched really the Ford guys yet, but I had to give you some of the basic grounding. And when you understand the basic grounding, you'll understand what it is that we're doing here. So thank you for listening. I think next time we're going to go into the last of the LS1 Drag Nationals where there were certain celebrities that were going fast. One was a male stripper, apparently, in an in old life. Another one was a power drinker that, when I caught him, was filling up his Jack Daniels can with water. So stay tuned. Lock in. There are so many more stories to tell. And I have a new guest coming up who will absolutely blow your mind. He started a lot of the scene in this country, and he's a brilliant speaker. Better than me. I'm an average speaker. So next few episodes are going to get really good, really cool. So thank you for listening to Range Anxiety, Tuna Wars 2. There's more coming soon. Lock it in and thank you for listening.